Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Eagerly anticipating the return of real football. Yes, yes, indeed. After the international nonsense, it is time for real football to commence. And that means Premier League action and Liverpool will be taking on Wolverhampton Wanderers in the early kickoff on Saturday. Always nice to come back from a break to the early kickoff away from home. Uh, Games that we traditionally do not do well in. But this is a game that we should win, Carl. Wolves have not begun the season particularly well. They did play very well against United and were very unfortunate not to get at least a point in that game. They got walloped by Brighton. Um, They managed to beat Everton away from home despite being outplayed. And then they got beaten 3-2 down at Crystal Palace. They've had a bizarre season where their manager walks out on the, you know, on the cusp of the season beginning. And to go from Julian Lopetegui to Gary O'Neill, despite the fact that O'Neill did very well keeping Bournemouth up with, you know, a margin of luck and a lot of money behind them last season, it's a significant downgrade. Uh, Lopetegui is a very good manager, proven at the highest level. Gary O'Neill has less than one full season under his belt. And it, it kind of seems like it was the the cheap option more so than anything else. Yeah, it was. I mean, I mean, there are plenty of other out of work managers they could have gone and gotten. They, I, I completely agree with you. It feels like they took a really easy, cheap, quick option because he was, you know, English Premier League, just out of a job, all that sort of stuff. Truth is, we don't really know what Gary Neal is at the minute because, as you've just said, he's not really had enough time in the in a senior job to know. And he went very, very quickly from being youth coach to being senior coach to being assistant coach to being a first team manager when he, you know, wasn't even going for the job. So, on the one hand, you have to applaud him for making the most out of his opportunities as they've come along. On the other hand, for a sustained entire season leading a team, we just it's very difficult to predict because we just don't know. Um, I must say I've been pretty impressed with how the team has played in terms of their build-up play, the actual football, their movement and their approach. I have been 
surprisingly, I wouldn't say pleased, but um, upbeat, let's say, about how they've attempted to play and how they've attempted to structure their build-up play. I think there are certainly a few things which still need need fixing and addressing. Um, I, I don't think they're going to go away very quickly. I especially have a few concerns over some players he seems to be continually picking, uh, namely Fabio Silva up front, who I still just don't see a single thing about, really. Um, I, don't, I don't know. We'll get to him. But generally speaking, O'Neill's setup and how he's looking to play on the ball, I think is good. Off the ball... I think has been hit and miss. It's been really brave and front-footed, and I think he's probably trying to negate the fact that Wolves are like anti-scoring as a group by making them much more aggressive, defensively higher upfield, uh, looking to get challenges in, let's say, uh, closer to danger and maybe upset the the opposition's own organisation that way rather than try to be creative in slower passive build-up play. So I can kind of see the reasoning behind it but it has left them a bit ragged it's left them open it's left them needing their own individuals in the defense to be very very good when they're not elite you know even mm. if <clears throat> let's say max kilman's had a really good couple of years there's still going to be occasions when he comes up against a good premier league attack and he's not really able to deal with it because he's just not at that level simple as that that's perfectly fine your system has to try and mitigate that uh, i think the fullbacks who have come in have both been really, really good. I think Semedo's had a good start defensively to the season. I think Aitnuri coming into the team um, at, at the start of the campaign has been a really positive thing as well. He didn't start against Everton, but has been in the team the rest of the time. And I think he's been good, defensively good, offensively excellent. I think he's a much better player overall than Bueno. So um, I, I think that there's reason for optimism but it's still got to be really cautious optimism because there are such glaring weaknesses in this squad. One is still scoring goals or being clinical for the chances mm. they create. One is depth in at least two key areas. And uh, third is like even the, the players that they are looking to rely on a little bit more. If we say that they're fragile or have been, then that's kind of being kind. Um, there, there's quite a history of injury in this squad. There is. There is. They had a a very weird summer, all, all told, you know, including the manager's departure. But if we look at uh, player comings and goings, Ruben Neves was one of the first big names to go to Saudi. He joined Al-Halal, uh, which was a big surprise considering Ruben Neves at 26. Was he 25, 26? I think the assumption was he'll be moving to a, a European club. He'd been linked to Barcelona. He'd been linked to a couple of others, and I just, I, I just assumed he was going to move on to a, you know, pretty decent European club, considering he had one year left in his contract and had made it fairly clear he wasn't going to renew. Uh, Diego Costa was released when his contract ended. Luke Matheson left on a free. Shame it didn't work out. Very talented young player now at Bolton. Joe Matinho left when his contract ran out, and Adama Traore left. So, even though. Neves's landing in, in Saudi was unexpected. Him leaving was expected, and everything that happens to there is, is what everyone expected to happen. Then they sell Connor Cody again. Everyone expected that to happen. Then they sold Nathan Collins because Lopetegui didn't fancy him for whatever reason. I wonder if, in hindsight, they now 
regret that because I think he'd fit much better in Gary O'Neill's setup than he did in Lopetegui's. They sell Dion Sanderson, Heo Quava. They sell Raul Jimenez. They sell Sarkic. They sell Lewis Richards. And then they sell Matthias Nunes to Manchester City on deadline day. Coming in the door, Matthias Cunha, that was a deal that was done in January, loan with an option to buy. And I think they'd agreed very early on that they were going to take that option up. £44 million is a lot of money, though, when you're up against the FFP wall. Bubakar Traore was another one that they had on loan with an option to buy, and they decided to take that up. And I do very much like that player. And then it all got very messy for them, where they clearly had no more money to spend. And they bring back Matt Doherty on a free transfer. They bring in Santiago Santiago Bueno, a young Uruguayan centre-back. I think he's 23, 24. Um, was that Barca for a few years? Was that Girona the last few years? I don't know a huge amount about him. Uh, I know they paid around $9 million for him. So we'll see. They bring in Enzo Gonzalez, who's really highly regarded. Young Paraguayan winger. Um, who was linked with uh, Brighton quite heavily after they signed Julio and Ciso. It was said that this kid was, you know, a similarly level, similar level of talent as in Ciso. We'll we'll wait and see whether that's true or not. And then they brought in Jan Rickner or Jean Rickner Bellegard, which was an odd signing. He's a good player. He's a decent midfielder. But what's weird about it is they went to Strasbourg to try and sign Habib Diara. And Chelsea blocked that move because obviously Chelsea, well, they, Todd Bowley owns Strasbourg, but Chelsea owns Strasbourg. And he's a 19-year-old, superbly talented, huge, prom- hugely promising young midfielder. And Wolves wanted to bring him in. Chelsea block it. So rather than you know, look elsewhere. They just decided to grab the next available midfielder at Strasbourg, possibly because they'd paid for the flights to get there. Um, and look, it remains seen how he does, but it's a bit of an odd one, a bit of an odd signing for them. All things considered, they got undoubtedly worse in the transfer window. They lost the two best midfielders. They lost a good centre-back. They didn't bring in any forward players. I, 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 I'd I, be concerned if I was a Wolves fan. I do like the signing of Tommy Doyle on loan with an obligation to buy for $5 million. I think that's really clever business. But overall, I, I do think they've gotten weaker through the summer. Now, they can mitigate some of that by playing eight Nuri over Hugo Bueno because that's an upgrade. But I, I would have a, a concern about the central defence. I, I, for me, Craig Dawson's always been a yard dog. And he does a lot of the blood and thunder stuff that pundits love. I think he makes a lot of mistakes. I think he's slow. He's poor 1v1. He's not great on the turn. He can be exploited. That's a weakness. Not replacing Neves in midfield. You'd wonder who's going to be the one that dictates play for them in there. Now, maybe it's Joe Gomes who's started in that role. Maybe that's what he's going to be developed as. And like you mentioned earlier, how they're building up and how they're playing out, it does mitigate a lot of what they lost with with Neves. They haven't replaced Nunes, really. 
So you'd wonder who's going to play that left-sided role that he was kind of making his own. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And then you mentioned the Fabio Silva thing. They've also given him the number nine shirt, which almost seems like the owners have said, hang on a sec, we paid huge money for this fella. Someone better make something out of him because, you know, we, we paid a club record for him at the time. And last season he was on loan. I think the season before was he on loan as well. So someone's going to make something of him because otherwise we're going to be way out of pocket. Yeah, he's had two loans. Uh, Anderlecht and PSV, six months at each, I think it was, wasn't it? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. I mean, I just think he's still very, very slow, very lightweight, is indecisive on the ball. <clears throat> Obviously, a lot of this is confidence-based. Uh, and if maybe you get a, a run of games or goals or something bounces in off his knee or whatever, maybe you see a bit of a different side to him. But I just think he's very ponderous. I don't think he's suited to leading the line by himself whatsoever. Maybe playing in a two up front is um, a much better idea for them at the moment. But I would, from what I see of him, if you're trying to make him be something, it's probably Sasha Kaladzic you link him with rather than uh, Mateus Cunha. But in this Wolves team, if there's one player I wouldn't be leaving out of the side at the minute, it's Mateus Cunha. So a little bit of a tricky if he has been put in that in that spot by whether it's ownership or whatever. I think Gunya is one that they have to be basically building through as often as possible at the minute. <clears throat> I'm not a big Zalabia fan at all. I think he's been wildly overrated, but I think he's probably now at a club which is more or less at the level where he is. So I think it's fine for them to be playing him regularly. I think if you've got Zalabia, Neto and Gunya as three schemers, creators, of interchanging positions, linking with each other really, really well. That's a really good basis for build-up play because all of them are hard-working. All of them are good ball carriers. They each have, like, I wouldn't say lightning, but Neto, obviously, pre-injury was quick. Cunha, when he's running with the ball, is just as quick as without it. So there's a lot of good outlets there for the build-up play to start with, but you still need something, obviously, at the end of it, whether it's the goal-scorer type or whether it's more, we've spoken about recently, Dom Solanke, for example, as a real facilitator who lets those players around him be as good as they are and even a little bit better. I don't think Silva's either of those players at the minute. He's not a channel runner. He's not someone who's going to chase the ball down. He's not relentless presser. He's not a big hold-up player. I just think he's got so much to learn at this point that it just feels a bit detrimental when he's in the team, basically. That's, that's my point. And not necessarily all going to say that's his fault because he was brought so young and now maybe is being put in again when he's not ready. Again, maybe Kalzic isn't fully fit yet. They're still sort of determining what kind of a team they're going to be. Um, I think if they can get Kalzic fit or maybe get a bit more out of um, Huang Hee Chan, I know he's not, again, an elite level player, but 
very hard worker. I think he's quite a good finisher. His movement is definitely better than Silver's. So I think there's options there for them to do mm. different things with that attack. And I think that they've got numbers in the attack as well. But yeah, the, it's it's still quite a way from all coming together perfectly. And then you're still relying on it being very, very good at the other end of the pitch as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They've got to find a way to get the right balance in attack. And for now, they're playing you know, 4-4-1-1. Maybe they'll shift to something more resembling a 4-3-3 in time. But for now, like, as you mentioned, Sarabia and Neto in the wide areas, Cunha behind a striker, that's probably the best they've got. But that striker really can't be Fabio Silva if you want to score goals because it, it, I don't know what he does well at this point. I really don't. There's like little flashes of movement. Like he'll make a really good run. He won't get the ball. And it's almost like he just kind of gives up on that. Like he doesn't make a second run, a third run. I think until he starts doing that repeatedly, making those runs, gambling on things, I think he's just going to end up in a busted flush there. I I like the midfield group. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say he's scoring a hat-trick this weekend then, is he? Probably. Probably. (laughs) We did get Wall up there last year, uh, which was great fun. And Um, Kevin scored a hat-trick against us before, so, you know. It can happen. Yeah, de- definitely can. <laughs> um, I do like the midfield group. Lamine is a good ball winner. He's a, a grok. He'll kick people and boot them up in the air, but he, he is a good defensive midfielder. Uh, Bubakar Traore is a good player. Joe Gomes is a good player. Tommy Doyle is a good player. The, those three all have potential to develop a lot more. Uh, I'm biased towards Joe Hodge. I think he's a, I think he's a nice little player. And obviously then at Bellegarde, we'll see. We'll see how that works out. We'll see what his role is, what his purpose will be in the squad. He's definitely a, a good player. It's just, I, I just find it weird that they went there to buy one player and then came away with somebody else. That's just always a little bit odd to me. Um, this is a team that we shouldn't have huge concerns about. Now, Cunha is is one that can hurt us. And the way he operates between the lines, that could be problematic for us because obviously we're not playing with a, a proper six at the moment because we don't have one other than Waturo Endo, who's seemingly just going to be a squad player in the league and maybe a starter in the Europa League. So Cunha playing in between the lines could be an issue for us, but there's... Plenty of issues in their team that we can exploit. Um, the right side of their defense. Semedo's playing pretty well, but there's always a flaw with him. Doesn't defend his inside shoulder well. Craig Dawson, we made him look like Beresi last season. And he scored against us as well, which was doubly sickening. But he's never been any more than average. And at this point, he is well past his best. Darwin running off the back of him is something we should be looking to exploit. The left side of defense with Kilman and Nate Nuri is, is strong. Jose Sa had that great first year, was not great last year, and hasn't been overly impressive this year. Jose Sa had a good first year because he was playing in front of the tightest defense, who conceded yeah. the fewer shots. That's why he didn't have a great year. Now, no, let's be fair now. His like his, his save good. percentage was pretty good. His post shot XD was pretty good. I would say he was one of the three best keepers in the league that season. 
Now, there wasn't much competition, admittedly. And the best keeper in the league that season was probably Emmy Martinez. But I, I do think he had a, a, a really good season. Um, but last year wasn't good. And so far this year, I haven't been impressed. The Bruno Lage system seemed to suit him a lot more. Like you said, it was a lot more compact and it was aimed at limiting the opportunities and limiting where the opportunities came from. What areas of their team do you think we should be looking to exploit? To exploit? Yeah. Um, The two biggest areas I've seen so far which their approach leaves them vulnerable to is central midfield, if you're being very, very aggressive and challenging them as quickly as they receive the ball. Because I I really like Lamino. I've liked him for a long time as a a player. Um, But his first touch is usually the way he faces and then he'll turn. Gormish, I I know less about by a considerable distance. I think he's been all right, but not spectacular so far. I think he's probably a decent foil for Lamina uh, in terms of sort of doubling up in terms of ball winning and all that. But again, not, not someone who I think looks like they are going to be incessant at taking the ball on the turn or being able to play loads of one touches really, really quickly. Um, I think that there's not predictability about their play, but a purposefulness, which is, um, it can be a bit one dimensional at times. Like this, this Wolves team right now at the beginning of the season looks a lot more like playing, let's say an early Brighton or a Bournemouth from two years ago or something like that than Wolves last season. Like Wolves for the last probably what, three years or so have just been an utterly boring club to watch. Like really dour. Three years? Oh, more than that. Nuno Espero Santos was manager there for for a few years. Five years then. Pick whatever you want. Four years anyway. um, Like really stolid, sort of try to be good defensively, but not really much ingenuity, not really much in terms of free-flowing football. I think this team is trying to be more free-flowing, but they obviously don't have the level, the calibre of player yet. Technically, fairly decent, but movement, uh, speed of play, actual ingenuity is probably not quite there where they'd like to be yet. It's a little bit idealistic where the, where they play at the minute. And I think those areas just in front of the defence, so going into defensive midfield, or when they're trying to make really quick combos between uh, centre mid, one of the wide forwards and one of the centre forwards dropping off, those interplays, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes they can have sort of two or three players trying to run ahead of the ball to continue that move. Maybe the fullback overlaps, that sort of thing. You can exploit them if you win the ball back and move it really, really quickly there. Um, thankfully, that's one of the areas we are still very, very good at. Obviously, the direct balls and long balls in behind is a, a different matter. But like I said, they're not really playing forwards at the minute who are capable of doing that. It's much more about them trying to pass out of defence quickly one touch, two touches, turn the ball around the opposition midfielder, and then maybe by the time either Ned or Cunha gets on the ball, still in really deep areas, then they're able to be in space and dribble. And that's when Wolves look much more impressive, but also much more dangerous when they start running with the ball uh, at speed and maybe from, let's say, from 40 yards out onwards. Mm. Um, So if we're really, really tight in midfield, really, really good at getting to the ball, as quickly as they're passed into feet, I think we can get probably quite a lot of joy in turnovers. Um, obviously, a part of this is going to depend on who the attacking three are in the end, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, 
I would suggest those are the two parts. If we resort to having lots and lots of possession and swinging in crosses from the sides, I can see it being a not very enticing game for Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. If we fall into that trap early, uh, it might be problematic. Um, obviously, the, the thing they did really well against United was Cunha and Nunes dropping deep into their own half, picking the ball up, taking out the fact that the midfield didn't have a lot of progression in it and then just carrying the ball 40 yards by themselves. Nunes is gone, but Cunha can still do that and he does it at at a really rapid pace, which could cause us some issues in transition. Um, The only injury they have is Joe Hodge. So you would assume we're looking at Jose Sangol, Semedo, Dawson, Kilman and Aitnuri as the back four. Lamina and Gomes as the double pivot, and then Neto, Cunha, Sarabia behind. I'm guessing it will be Silva, because Kalisic hasn't started in the league yet, but maybe Kalisic gets to start, just because, well, you know, he is the better player and it would be smart. The other other option, of course, they could play Cunha up front and bring in another midfielder, maybe bring in Bubakar Traore, get themselves a little bit more of a solid base in midfield. Um, Maybe Huang on one side and... Huang could start on the wing, yeah, and Cunha up front. Sarabia is the two through the middle then. Um, And that would then give them them a a little bit more of a solid base. Um, Right, as far as Liverpool go, we will have no Virgil. He is suspended. Um, His extra one-game ban for calling a decision a fucking joke. Um, likely only got one game because he apologised would probably have gotten more if they could have given him more we do have three injury doubts though Ibu Kanate is a doubt uh, missed out before the international break the hope is that he is fit now if he's in any way a doubt I think they will they'll just leave him on the bench Gomez and Matip played very well against Villa so you know, you'd you'd be happy enough if if they have to start. Uh, Thiago obviously is still working his way back. He had a setback. We'll see. Hopefully, he is ready to go and can give us at least another option in midfield. But the concerning one, Carl, is Trent. Now he obviously went off with a hamstring injury in the Villa game. My hope is that that was one of those. Oh, there's an international break coming up, and I can't be arsed. Type of injuries. Uh, we'll find out fairly soon. Jurgen has will obviously give his press conference on Friday, which is when we'll actually learn who's ready and who's not. But the hope will be that at least two of those three, um, Thiago, Trent, Trent and Ibu, will be ready to play because you know you you want to have as many of your best players as possible available. Yeah. Um... I mean, there's not really much we can do about it at the minute. And, you know, we have to point out we're also recording this a little bit earlier in the week than usual. So, for example, England v. Scotland's tonight, presumably Andy Robertson's going to be involved. We'll assume he's not going to get injured. So he'd be in the team. But there could still be something in the meantime that we obviously speak about here, which cannot happen. Um, I think we saw enough in our last game to be, you know, confident enough that if... if um, Gomez and Matip, for example, have to start alongside each other again. That's fine. Um, there's no there's no particular issue with that. It's not 
the best moment of either of their careers. They've they've both been excellent at times, but those times are like at least two years in the past now for both of them. Um, I'm a little surprised that Gomez hasn't been given a bit more of a nod previously. Um, we saw him then shift over to sort of the right side of defence and Jarrell Kwanzaa for the closing minutes in the centre of defence. So if Trent can't play, maybe that's an entirely new quartet that we see there, Robertson, Kwanzaa, Matip and Gomez. But how you feel about that, it's probably as an away basis defence, not terrible, but obviously there's going to be a lot of question marks and especially in terms of build-up play. We haven't really seen Jarrell Kwanzaa tested yet. No. And we haven't seen him have to turn and run. And that's the that's the the one concern I have is if he gets isolated against Matthias Cunha and Cunha knocks it by him, how does Quanza react? Can he cope with that level of pace? That will that will tell us a lot. Um, if Trent is not available, we really I think we really need Ibu. I think we really need Ibu available if Trent is not, because Gomez will have to go to right back because Connor Bradley's injured and Calvin Ramsey is on loan and also injured. Um now, I mean, could he could he play Endo at centre back? He's played there in the past. Maybe that's something he'd look at. I, I don't know. He's short for a Klopp centre back, of course, but Maybe he'd he'd do that rather than risk playing the kid. Um, Kwanzaa, to be fair, I doesn't look phased by anything, so I don't think he'd have any issues going away to Wolves and starting. It's certainly not one of the more intimidating grounds in the country, so I don't think Jarrell will have too many issues if he is called up to play. But you know, he's made good progress over the last two appearances, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that. Things consider uh, continue on a on a good beat for him. You don't want uh, any of his confidence getting knocked or anything like that. Like you said, we are recording early in the week, so anything could happen in in the remaining international games. England Scotland is tonight, as you said. What are the what are the uh, chances that Andy Robertson just goes in and boots Jordan Henderson up in the air? <laughs> I mean, that might be the case, even if it's a, a decent tackle, to be perfectly honest. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't expect Henderson's going to play the entire game anyway. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter, at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Anyway, so... um... 
<clears throat> more of a concern, I think, would be the site, and they have a lot more distance to come back, obviously. Um, so they're only going to be back for, what, a day and a half before we leave to go to Wolves? Because um, we'll travel to Wolves, obviously, on Friday for the Saturday early kickoff. So I, I think that the defence is just going to be the defence, whoever's fit. So, you know, if Kanate's fit, I think he plays. Mm. If Trent is fit, I think he plays. But I, I certainly would have doubts over Trent, at least. Yeah, yeah, as would I. I think Ibu should be okay because you know he 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 missed out on the the Villa game, but I think with the the two weeks off, he, he should be okay. Trent is the one that that I do think will miss out. So let's let's ask you a question about that then, because I've been a bit a little bit surprised. Like when um, Gomez and Matter have played with each other, it's been Gomez on the left rather than what would seem to suit him as the right sided one who covers across. But if Trent isn't playing there anyway, would you be leaving Kanate right side because that's where he plays and making Matip shift across? Or would you be leaving Matip the right side of one because apparently that's just where he can only play now? It's a really weird thing because, see, I I think the reason Gomez plays the left-sided role is because we're... Well, actually, no, to be fair, Gomez was playing the left-sided role last year when we were playing a flat-back four as well. In the three, it makes sense to me that Gomez would play the left because Robertson abandons ship constantly and the left-sided space is left open. So Virgil has had to cover centre and left. Gomez having that pace, it allows him to do it a bit better than, than it does Joel. Um, My guess would be Ibu will play on the left. Because, like you said, Matip apparently can only play on the right, which is a very odd situation. Um, yeah, my, my guess would be if if Ibu is fit, it's Gomez, Gomez right back, Matip right centre back, Ibu left centre back, and Robbo at left back. If everybody who we think will be fit is fit, and that's assuming Trent misses out, I think that's mm. what it'll be: Gomez, Matip, Ibu, and Robbo right to left. One final wildcard consideration for you, considering even at best case that might make Gerald Kwanzaa a centre-back sub and first next-in-line defender. Um, Stefan Bastic, back to fitness, if not full fitness, and played for Spanish under-21s last week. Would you consider him for a right-back start or would you just be leaving him on the bench in case we need him? I'd consider him for the right-back role because I do think the most natural fit in this squad, for him, as things currently stand with how we're playing, is that Trent role. Yeah. Because he's not physically ready to be a six. He's not positionally aware enough to be a six. He's not disciplined enough to be a six. His best games last season came as an eight. Yeah. I think when he played as a six, he was actually a bit of a liability off the ball. And it was all overlooked because of his age and because of how bad we were as well. But the problem is that the way the eights are playing in the shape right now, he doesn't work because he can't play that advanced role. So I think the natural role that does work for him is is that Trent role. He's He obviously was at Celta, played centre-back, played a decent amount of right-back as well. He's played in midfield. He's comfortable on the ball. I think he'd find that transition quite easy 
to step from right back into midfield. He obviously doesn't have Trent's passing range, but he does have a good passing range and he does back himself. And I do think he is the, the best fit as a backup for Trent, more so even than Bradley. Now, Ramsey could be a really good fit in that role because Ramsey also played as a midfielder in his youth. But I I, I think that's the best role for, for Stefan Bastic moving forward. If we're going to stick to doing this three box three um, shape, I, I do think that's the best use of him. And to be honest, if he comes back from the Spanish national squad or the under 21 squad and he, he he feels good and he's he's fit and ready to go I'd be inclined to throw him in as the right back and if Ibu's fit I'd go Ibu and Gomez as the pair and have Joe on the left side so he plays the middle role of the back three and use his pace to cover for Robbo when Robbo abandons ship to go charging up the wing. I think that's probably the best because the other way it it would work for us as well is that defensively, I think it could help because when Robbo bombs forward, Basicic doesn't have to do what Trent does and sort of amble around in midfield. He can drop back in and be a right side centre-back with Ibu in the middle and Gomez as the left side centre-back, which will work because Gomez is comfortable on that side. So, you know, defensively, it might actually work a little bit better and give us more balance where Bessetic can be used in, in almost three different positions, right back, the double six, and right side centre back in a three, depending on what the phase of play is. So, yeah, I, I would, if he's ready to play, I, I'd be very tempted to go with him. And into midfield. I think it's the same midfield that started against Villa. I see no reason to change it. Now, Alexis is obviously flying back from South America and he's played at altitude. So you'd want to be very careful with how long he plays for. Uh, he's not going to have a long turnaround. They, they play tomorrow night, is it? They play tonight. They play tonight as well. So he'll be flying back tomorrow. It's a long-ass flight. He'll be maybe exactly. Late Wednesday English time, or yeah, it should be late Wednesday. I think late Wednesday. So he'll he'll have probably a recovery day on Thursday, and then Friday we go straight away. So he'll only get the one session. He'll get the one session, yeah. So you'd want to just be careful. Maybe keep an eye on him. Manages minutes. Maybe you just say to him, "Look, we'll give you sixty. If you can give us sixty, that's great. If you can't, we'll we'll get you off on half time." Um, but I do think it'll be the same. I think I think Dominic is an obvious one to start. I think even though Alexis is, is not a six and it doesn't really suit him a whole lot, I think he's probably the best option we have right now. Um, Maybe a 60-30 split with Endo for this game then or something. Yeah, and, and I think Curtis will retain the, the left-sided spot. I, I don't... I don't. Well, maybe, maybe Gravenberch comes in, but my, my assumption would be that Curtis starts and maybe Gravenberch comes on at you know, on the 65-70 mark. Like you said, Thiago hopefully is available as well. So Yeah, and, and that's the that's the one. Like if 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 he's available then again I think he can come on with, with 15, 20 to go and he's just yeah. he'll he ideally I think you'd like him if you're bringing on Endo to replace Alexis, you'd also want to be bringing on Thiago to replace somebody else, maybe Curtis. Yes, because 
technical and creativity still there. And yeah, so. ex- exactly, exactly. So, uh, and then maybe Gravenberch comes on for for Dominic with with ten or fifteen to go. Um, that depends how they full train this week, obviously, because of course, like we're going to be really careful with Gravenberch. Obviously, has wanted to stay behind to make a big impression. So, has he? Is the big question. We don't know. Yeah, uh, and can, can we just say like? Uh, <laughs> I thought it was really poor form from both Michael Reitziger and Ronald Koeman, the way they came out against his decision. Mm. Like, he's just moved clubs. You guys know what a tough time he had at Bayern. Koeman has spoken about the fact that the reason Gravenberch dropped out of the national team was because of the situation at Bayern. So, like, you know he's just moved. Surely the most important thing is the player getting settled in, getting stuck in, and getting himself back on track. Because if he's back on track and playing well for Liverpool, that benefits the national team. If he's flailing around at Liverpool like he did at Bayern and not playing well, then it doesn't help the national team at all. So... I just I didn't understand that. I thought it was really, really poor form the way they came out, both of them, and uh, and spoke out against it. Like I've not been funny, but you're the Netherlands under twenty one team. You're you're not exactly Saki's Milan. Like you're not the most important team of all time. And let's remember you were playing Moldova's under twenty ones. And today you're playing North Macedonia's under 21s. If you can't beat them without Ryan Gravenberch, I'm sorry, but Michael Reitziger probably needs to go because he's not doing a very good job. Well, I can't speak for Reitziger, but I can absolutely say with certainty that I remember Ronald Koeman being perfectly happy for new arrivals to not go on international break when he was managing in the Premier League. So uh, I don't really think we need to touch too much more on it than that. He's just a bitter blue. So it is. Who had a red Christmas tree, which was great. Um, right. So in attack, then. Mm. I think Salah. this is the interesting. <clears throat> Salah, yes. I think there's two question marks, though. Yeah, the other um, two are question marks. And it is to do with the internationals rather than anything Liverpool form-wise, because Diaz is one of the last players. Like Allison is the latest player. Uh, to to start their match, but is in goal. We make allowances for that. That's fine. He'll play anyway. But Diaz is the latest kickoff of the outfield players. Excuse me. He's got, obviously, the same long-haul flight to come back. So I think there might be a question mark about a start there. And then Darwin plays earlier than Diaz. But again, you've got a late travel, late return, long-haul distance, and... Up against that, well, I, I don't know how any of these players are played because I didn't watch any of the internationals so far. I do intend to watch um, Uruguay against Ecuador, but you know, leaving aside how he plays in that game, Diogo Jota then scored a couple of goals for uh, Portugal, obviously midweek. He's got, I think, another game to come with them as well. Um, I don't know how much you'd take into that because, like I said, I don't, don't know what performance level was like. It was against Luxembourg. So, again, you don't read too much into it by itself in isolation. But Jota started. Jota came on for him. Jota's obviously very much in Klopp's first 11, 12, 13 players' thoughts right at this moment. So I 
just wonder whether he's going to basically use travel time and lower energy levels for not just Darwin, but for a group of players and not wanting all of them to start. Mm. And Jota is a, an easier one to bring in than Thiago or Basetic, who have been injured in midfield for Alexis. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't think Diaz will start the game. I don't think Diaz will start the game. The question is, does Darwin? Because, like, the thing Cody here is... played from the left, didn't he, for Netherlands? Cody scored in both games. He scored, um, scored against Greece and scored a penalty against Ireland. And he played from the left in a 3-4-3. Three, three. Yeah. In both games. Now it's it's a it's a weird left-sided role because it's more of an attacking midfield role than a than an out-and-out wing role, which obviously doesn't really have the explosive pace to play as a as an out-and-out winger for us. But he hasn't but, played up front for us this season. And but the thing is, like I think both him and Jota and Darwin obviously are all much better through the middle hmm. than they are wide. But if I had to put one of them wide, it would probably be Darwin because I think he can still be really effective in that role. But if Darwin's not going to start and Cody and Jota are, I'd actually rather it be Jota through the middle and Cody from the left because I think Cody can then drop a little bit narrow and Curtis can fill that left wing role because that's a natural thing for Curtis to do. And we saw him do that yeah, that's last season. Last year, yeah. So I think if if the two boys aren't gonna start after the long the long haul flights and, and you know both playing especially Darwin playing a very hectic brand of football over there for uh, Marcelo Bielsa. I do think I'd rather it be Mo from the right, Jota through the middle, where I think you mitigate some of his technical issues, and then Cody off the left. Because Robbo's going to provide with, and I think Curtis can provide with. And it, it should allow Cody to drift a little bit more and find pockets of space where he can impact the game. Yeah, I don't think that would be the worst at all. And like, it's nice that we obviously have a bit more depth and options as well at this moment in time, because it's not always been the case. Um, not that I think that the group stage should be foremost in our minds in the slightest, but for the players who don't start, there is a pretty rapid opportunity to start the next game uh, against Lask, obviously in midweek. I don't know what motivation levels would be like for, for the fans for that one, let alone the players. So let's not dive into that too much, but at least they know that it's not going to be another week sort of things before they, they get another opportunity to to play well or whatever. Um, I I would prefer one of them to start just because I don't think Gakpo or Jota have had a good start to the season. Mm, I just I really don't. Technically, speed of play, first touch, I, it's just not been good. Now, to an extent with Cody, I think that that's mitigated by the fact of where he was being used. Um, like I said, he's not played a game up front for us. I know he started up front against Newcastle, but he was shifted straight away over to the side when we uh, obviously went down to 10 and then was utterly ineffective and replaced. So 
I don't count that as a as a game up front for him. So we've not really seen him in a good moment, but also in a natural role. So it's a difficult one for where he is judging it. Jota obviously has scored, but I don't think he's played well in the slightest. So I'd be reluctant to start both of them, to be fair. You know, even if it is one starts and one of Diaz and Darwin play a half each or something like that, if they're capable, I'd rather that than start in both of the European base two. What about guys shout here of Dominic left wing? So Dominic left wing, Cody or Jota through the middle, and then I assume Harvey would be the other eight. Um, I'd probably be marginally more in favour of that than than the Cody and Jota pair. Cody and Jota starting at the minute, yeah. Mm. Just be again because with Elliot, you're definitely going to get what I said earlier about trying to be really, really quick and aggressive into their centre mids, trying to turn the ball over quickly. I think he's tried to link quite well with Salah again when he has come on this season. Yeah, I'd probably go for it. Yeah, Dominic's man of the match wherever he plays. Let's be honest at the minute. So yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter where he's played. He he will be the best player on the pitch, and um, hopefully he just you know makes a bunch of people from the Midlands feel really sad this weekend, which would be nice. Uh, Right, what's your prediction? And then we have a question to end the podcast. I'm going to go for a sticky and irritating 2-1 to Liverpool. Just ah, about. That was, that was mine. That was mine. Yeah. Sorry. See, that's what happens when you host and you ask the question and then I yeah. answer first. Paul Tierney, VAR. How do you feel about this? Yeah, Michael Oliver's the referee as well, isn't he? So, not great. <laughs> There's definitely a penalty or something going against us in this game. Um, I'll go. I'll go three two to Liverpool. Bit of chaos, yeah. Bit of chaos, but I, I also think we're going to have to overcome some adversity in this game with some questionable officiating. Um, and obviously, we both wins away from home. That's that's a marked upturn from last 100%. year. hundred percent. Now, a big factor in that is that Wolves are shit. Um, yes. but you know, it, it, it is an upgrade. It is an upgrade. Um, in my in my predictions yesterday on two footed, I had Wolves to finish fifteenth, um, ahead of Burnley and Fulham surviving with Everton, Sheffield United, and Luton going down. Um, but this question then from uh, Hersnier is: Liverpool have started the season pretty well, so how do you fancy the chances to get silverware this season? So I'll throw that to you first. Right, I would like to see us go absolutely all in for the League Cup because our Europa group stage is crap and we should win it with our eyes closed, with Ben Dark in goal, with Camille Grabara right wing, whoever, right? We should be able to get through that without a problem, which means the extra couple of League Cup matches, third round, fourth round, and I think quarters would then be pre-Christmas as well. I think we should play as strong a team as possible, basically. Not to the extent that Salah and Trent have to be playing if we get drawn with, you know, Oldham and Tram here. But mm. relatively speaking, let's put a really strong team out, get ourselves into the last eight at the very least and see what the draw brings us from that point and who we play around those matches. I think we've got a really, really good chance of going deep in the domestic cups because we're not going to be having to play the first 11 in these extra six European matches if we don't want to. 
Then later on in the season, again, depending on draws and how we're playing in the Premier League and where we are in the league and all that sort of stuff, then you can decide how much you want to focus on the on the Europa because there's like there's three trillion matches to play in this competition before you get to notable parts of of the uh, of the knockouts where you might play either a decent side from the competition or a team who's come down from the Champions League that kind of thing. So basically, I don't want to worry about this midweek stuff, and I think it gives us an opportunity to be quite strong in the domestic cups up until let's say february so we could be in the semis by that point already and in the fa cup fourth round or fifth round by that point i'd like us to to focus on that it's going to be like what five matches less the six that we don't need to be fully on board with or fully you know strongest 11 available for europe and if that is the case then i think we put ourselves in a really good chance of two or three competitions that we can go deep in. It could be a memorable season if you go on and win a couple of those. It you know gets a lot of confidence back. It puts you again on the map of you know trophies and people wanting to come to you. It raises competition levels across the squad, all that kind of thing. I think this this season, although I hate it, the Europa probably gives us an opportunity to reevaluate priorities. And I would like us to see us do that by way of going strong in at least one of the cups. If I said to you that our best 11 right now is Alison, Trent, Ibu, Virgil, Robbo, Dominic, Alexis, Curtis, Mo, Darwin, Diaz, would you agree? Yes. You know, there are fluctuations there. I think as a player, Thiago's obviously better than Jones. Oh, of but... course. Of course he is. But I'm just, I'm just, I'm talking more about system fit than anything else. Yes. So if I then said to you that we have an alternative 11 of Kelleher, Besetic, Matip, Gomez, Costas, Gravenberch, Endo, Thiago, Elliot, Gakpo, Jota, could that not be our Europa League slash cup team? Now, obviously, there's going to be weeks where some of them have to play, have to start for the first team because you're just not going to go the season without injuries. But I'm, what I'm saying here is, if you look at Arsenal last season and how they had that really good first half, it was because they didn't play their best players yeah. in the, the Europa. But that that team, that's without factoring in your your Ben Doaks and Cade Gordons and Gerald Quances and Luke Chambers and whoever else. That's an eleven of barring Basetic, senior players with multiple seasons at least under their belt. Hmm. To me, that's that's the Europa League and League Cup team until Christmas, with the bench being made up of largely kids. And I wouldn't even be allowing Virgil or Mo or Trent or Darwin or Diaz in the fucking stadium for those games. <laughs> they at home, lads. I um, think you're right. I think we can go quite far in the domestic cups. Now, I actually have Newcastle winning the League Cup because I think they're going to beat City. And I think if they knock out City, I think they can go and win the thing. But I have us winning the FA Cup because I want us to win the FA Cup because I value the FA Cup. The FA Cup remains important to me. I have us winning the Europa League and the FA Cup this season. I think we finished third in the league and win the two cups. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd be very happy if we won the two cups. Um, I mean, like, like in a knockout game, obviously anything can happen. And even if Newcastle knock out City, they could draw Brentford in the next round and oh, lose and to them. Of course. Yeah. yeah, but generally speaking, yes, that eleven that you say for the Europa League, I'm on board with that because it's a group and you've got room to make errors and all the rest of it. But for knockouts, let's say not a Leicester because they're a Championship team. I think the side that you've named there give or take, should be good enough to beat them. If it's not, then again, we have questions over what we're doing with those players in the squad. But then if you draw, let's say the winners of Brentford Arsenal, right? Say we get the winners of them in the fourth round, I would want a stronger team in that because I think yeah. we should be looking to win this competition. If yeah, we that's play, fair. Yeah, uh, the winners of Chelsea Brighton, the winners of Brighton, uh, Brentford Arsenal, the winners of Palace Man United. If we get any of those, I would want maybe not a Salah, maybe a Salah on the bench, maybe Trent on the bench, but I'd want Kanate in. I, I think he should play. I, w- I would want Soberslide to play, for example. I'd want yeah. Diaz probably to play. I would want these players in the lineup. I wouldn't want to just go second string. No, no, yeah, that, that's fair. You, you, in, the, in the League Cup, you do have to base it on who you've been drawn against. But if we've got... Let's, let's just pull up our fix just for a sec. And get the league. Right, so we play Leicester next. And then this is the third round. So the fourth round is the week commencing the 30th of October. So so we play Forest and we play Luton to bookend that. So here's where you could play a weaker team in the league. Forest home, Luton away. You could bring in Jota or Gakpo into the first 11. You could play Joe Gomez, maybe. You could potentially play Costas at left back. And you could shift Robbo, Darwin, Diaz and Kanate into that cup team. Assuming it's, you know, not... City or Arsenal or whoever. If it is City or Arsenal, I think you go as strong as you possibly can. Um, Then the quarterfinals are the week commencing the 18th of December. And we we play United and Arsenal either end of that. So I don't care who we get. None of the, the good players should be playing in that League Cup quarterfinal. Because the focus there has got to be United at home in the league and Arsenal at home in the league. Do you know? So I think you've got to look at what's either either side as well as just who you're playing in those games. Yeah, I agree. But I think that, like I said, if you're not playing the six European games in that side of Christmas, I, I don't see any reason why these players can't win three games in a week. Even if it's Man United, Man United, Arsenal in those three matches, play the best team. All three of them. They're going to have to do it midweek in some of the Premier League games as well. It's it's an extra two matches that we're talking about, but taking away six. That's my point. I know, but in December, it's not just about the extra two matches. matches. It's the Christmas run as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, sure. you know, because we would go Union St. Gelos, then we've got United on, on the Sunday, then midweek would be the quarterfinal, then we get Arsenal, then we get Burnley, uh, on Boxing Day, it might get flexed to the 27th. Then we play the Toon. So we've got United Arsenal and Newcastle coming to Anfield within three within two weeks of each other. Then we've got the FA Cup third round, and then we've got... Um... I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. 
This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48 hour no obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Bournemouth. Yeah, look, and then I mean, there's if, a break. Then there's a break, to be fair. Yeah. If, if Port Vale and Sutton, the winner of that game, could play the winner of Exeter Luton, in the fourth round, and then we draw the winners of that tie yeah. in the quarters, that's fine. That's ideal. That's absolutely <laughs> ideal. That's the route we want for EZFL. Yes, please. Uh, we'll, we'll take uh, the winners of Bradford, Middlesbrough, Exeter, Luton, Ipswich, Wolves, Mansfield, Peterborough, Port Vale, uh, Sutton, Salford, Burnley, Black, Blackburn, Car- to be fair, there's only a couple of draws that wouldn't be nice to get in the fourth round. So we might just get a little bit fortunate with this. It's not the fourth, though, is it? It's the quarters, the fifth round. Yeah, you know, what I'm saying is, and then that will get us into the quarters, but there should also be a bunch of other fourth round ties between the lower league teams. Mm. The only the only three teams I want to avoid in this competition for as long as possible are City, Newcastle, and one of them is going out in the next round, and Arsenal. Mm. Anyone else I'm happy to play, because Spurs are already gone out. I'd happily see us wipe the floor with Eric Ten Hag's United again. And all the rest of them we should beat, even with, with a weakened team. Brighton, obviously, you'd want to show a decent amount of respect to. Chelsea, I, I think if we play Chelsea ten times, we beat them eight. I just don't think they're very good at the moment. I think it's more a psychological thing with us where we think they're better than they are. Um, but no, I, I, I have us winning the FA Cup and the and the Europa League this year. Nothing would please me more than a, a repeat of the 2000-2001 season. A nice cup treble, Champions League there. football. Yeah, Champions League football secured for next season. That would be, that's the, the perfect season, but... I've decided, being the gracious person that I am, to, to pick Newcastle to win the League Cup, uh, which likely means they're going to lose to City in the next round, but that is what it is. Um, I do have City winning the, the League and the Champions League, which made me feel a bit sick to my stomach. But I managed to give your man, Unai Emery, the uh, the Europa Conference League, because I, I do think Villa should win that. Um, here's a question for you before we go. Give me your predictions for manager of the year, first manager fired, player of the year, and young player of the year. I'll give you mine after you give Well, I'll give you mine first, and you can have a bit of time to think. So manager of the year, I've gone for Pasta Coglu. 
because I, I've got Spurs to finish fourth this year. And I think if he gets them top four, I think he wins manager of the year. For first manager fired, and this pained me, I've gone for Sean Dyche. Player of the year, I think it'll be Haaland again because I think he'll score a ludicrous amount of goals again. And even though he has more stinkers than good games, he scores when he has stinkers and that fools City people into thinking he's played well. And young player of the year, I've gone for the biased pick, I've gone for Evan Ferguson. Hmm, okay. Um... Player of the year, I do struggle to see too many outside of Haaland just because I think the, the number will be outrageous again. So I think I'm going to have to go with you on that. The only other one I think would be sort of the players who are playing in these sort of hybrid roles now, really creative. If people just gravitate away from Haaland as being natural now, if he hits that level, then they look at the creative players who are doing that. So it would be sort of De Bruyne and Trent and maybe Fernandes if he plays a bit deeper, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, De Bruyne is already out injured, so Fernandes still plays for United. We'll go with Haaland. I think that's fine. Manager, I think I think Postacoglu is a really good pick, to be fair. Um, I will go just for a bit of difference with... Oh, that's a very difficult one. I don't think Deserve is going to quite get Brighton into like fifth or something like that, which I think he would need to make him a candidate. Mm-hmm. I think Brentford might be just a little bit short of doing sort of similar. Fast manager fired as well. I have a tiny, tiny suspicion Marco Silva is not going to do as well. And maybe Fulham sort of react a bit too quickly for that. But See, maybe I considered that. My one thing is he turned down massive money from the yeah. Saudis. I wonder will there be a bit of loyalty, added loyalty there for on that basis? That's the because he was definitely in my thoughts because I have them falling off quite a bit yeah. this season because they've lost Mitrovic and they're going to lose Joe Pellini in January and they haven't replaced Mitrovic. Raul Jimenez is not a replacement, Tony Khan. He's just another guy. <clears throat> I, I I will go with either him or Paul Heckingbottom. I think Sheffield United got a decent enough base where they can give themselves a chance. I don't really know enough about Paul Heckingbottom tactically to say he's capable of making the most of that or not. So if they do start falling adrift and the club feel they've got as good a base as I think they have anyway, um, even though I still think that they're going to go down, I think they might look to pull the trigger there. I don't think that either of the other two promoted clubs will. So I'll go with him. Uh, they're my two options. Manager of the year. On the one hand, I could see City running away with it and being mm. unbelievably untouchable. So Pep would be an easy shout. Postacoglu, I think, is a really good possibility. I think they could be... Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I th- quite think top four, but the no European football, no midweek football at all, could be a really big um, swing factor in their favour. Yeah, I'm going to go... For I'm going to go Roy Hodgson, just as a farewell gift. <laughs> just as as he somehow gets Palace a top half finish by virtue of winning two matches more than like 
Pochettino and Ten Hag and that sort of thing. And yeah, they 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 just they want him to just remain until he's fully fossilized mm. and he's he's just gets the award and is convinced to sign a new three year deal. You can already um, yeah. picture the fourteen page feature in the Times written by Henry Winter, clad in Union Jack underpants, wearing an England shirt under his suit, talking about Roy, a broadsheet man in a tabloid world. Um <laughs> fucking hell. Right. Let me let me give you my one through twenty for the Premier League this year and tell me if there's anybody that I'm overrating or anyone that I'm underrating. Right. Like drastically. So I've got top four, I've got City, Arsenal, Liverpool, and Spurs, one through four. City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Spurs. Okay, so I maybe think Spurs tiny over a bit, but not wildly. Right. So then I've got Newcastle fifth, Villa sixth, United seventh, Brighton eighth, Chelsea ninth. Okay. And West Ham 10th. Right. I think Chelsea a little bit undercooked there. I just think it's such a hard job for Pochettino because like, yeah. it's an entirely new team. These players don't know each other at all. There's no defined way of playing. He took over a mess. And he's dealing with a couple of very big egos that they'd probably be better off without, including a certain very elderly Brazilian centre-back. Yeah, I'm still going to back him to coach enough of a system there and find out which players he trusts by October, November. And if he does that, that's still a chunk of season to overhaul quite True. a few of those in front. So again, with the factor of spares of no midweek football and that, I think he, as a coach, benefits from that as well, as Postacoglu does. So I'll go for them a little higher. Who did you have after Newcastle? Uh, Newcastle, Villa, United, Brighton, Chelsea and West Ham. Right, I'll go for Brighton higher than Villa. Okay, that's fair. I just think Villa, with it being the Conference League yeah. and them having a bigger squad than Brighton and a manager who's you know a bit more used to doing the Europe Premier, Europe Premier League, Europe Major yeah. League type thing. So yeah, that's why I went Europe with them. The league. Don't forget that. It's Europe True. at the expense of the league and they still have to play 19 away games, so I'm not putting Villa that high. They don't have played nineteen away games in the league. Oh, they have. Well, they've played two already. Um, they got walloped in both. Um, right then, my next group. These are the teams I think not quite good enough for top half, but too good to end up in a relegation scrap. So I've got Brentford at eleventh, and I think they are kind of in a tier of their own where they are good enough for the top half. I just think they miss out because. I think the other teams are better. Then I've got Palace, Forest, and Bournemouth. 12, 13, 14. I've got Bournemouth a little bit lower than that, but the rest of that group I agree with, even if in a different order. I think Palace, Brentford, and and uh, yeah, and Forest as well should be very, very similar to each other. Then I've got Wolves 15, Burnley 16, and Fulham 17. And I think I'm a little bit low on Fulham, but they didn't replace Mitrovic. I don't know who's going to score goals for them. They lost Manor Solomon as well. And they're they're going to lose Joe Polina in January. And do I trust them mid-season to find a suitable replacement? No, I do not, based on who they were looking at 
to bring in in this past summer window? So Fulham, yeah, in the same group. And then Bournemouth for me as well. But I'm not yet ready to move Wolves out of my bottom three. As much as I like their build-up play, I think both boxes, there's there's issues still. So we need to see definitely more. Definitely agree. Them. I definitely do agree. Um, and, and to be fair, I, I probably have them a little bit high. It's just that Burnley, it's so many new players. I think it's going to be a little bit later in the season before they click into gear. I think Wolves might just be able to grind out enough resu- results. I'm kind of banking on Wolves to do what Bournemouth did last year, which is where they have like two stretches where they pick up most of their points and they end up safe by default because there's just a lot of bad teams below them. Um, I've got Everton 18th, Sheffield United 19th and Luton in 20th. So you don't have Everton in your bottom three. No, I have Everton escaping again. I just... I, I I just don't see it with them. Like there's a it's just such a weird group of players. And they've signed two six foot four centre forwards to go with the other big centre forward that they have, none of whom are prolific goal scorers. They've sold a Wobie, who I thought was their best player last year. They've sold Damari Gray, who's probably their best winger. Um I like the Harrison edition, but I don't really know how you play him and McNeil unless, you know, one of them is playing on the right and cutting in, which is maybe what they do at McNeil. But you're just going to be, you're just setting your team up to cross a lot Mm. and teams will figure that out fairly quickly. Ultimately, I still think that Everton have a two and potentially a third because the the younger one who came in from sporting, I've not seen enough of to make any of But I think, between Beto and Danjuma, maybe they've got enough complementary traits that they'll score more than Wolves will at this point. You know, maybe that changes if Wolves bring in Kalzic and he's fully fit and plays really well with Cunha, but mm. at the minute, that's not the case. That's you know, It's just not there, so I'm still keeping Everton just out at the minute. Um, and Sheffield United and Luton are the other two down. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be really tough, I think, for them. Right, I think that will do us for today. Do you have anything you want to plug before we go? Um, By the time this comes out, I will have something ahead of the weekend. I'm not yet sure exactly what. That is the truth of the matter. Um, There are a few interesting games this coming weekend, um, including over in in Spain, obviously. So I may have a little look at that. Barca against Betis is is one, but then Real Madrid and Sociedad on the Sunday. I might actually look at that as a bit of a... uh, Champions League is coming. Here are two teams to look for playing against each other, obviously. Will you be doing much coverage for the upcoming AFCON? Me personally? Yes. I don't know. I haven't really thought that far ahead yet, to be perfectly honest. Because I, I, I think it would be worthwhile, potentially, a big old deep dive into Nigeria's attacking options, huh. which... <laughs> Were you uh, impressed by the four-two-four? Uh, were you? This is, but it's amazing, like how Terra Moffi and Emmanuel Dennis didn't even make the last squad, and they're both really good. You've got Luckman, Chukwesi, Ianacho, Awaniyi, Moses Simon, and then the three that really jump out to me: Gift Urban, who really, really looks special; 
Victor Boniface, who has decided to be the best striker in the world under Xavi Alonso, and obviously Victor Osman, who who might be the best all-round number nine on the planet. Like, that is a ludicrous group of attacking players. Absolutely ludicrous group of attacking players. Now, the defence is decent, I think. Decent. Not great, but okay. The midfield is not great, but it's okay. But the attacking options are just incredible. I'm genuinely blown away by the talent they have. And other than Moises Simon, all of them are 26 and under, which is really promising for the next five, six, seven years. You know, Gift Urban is only 21. Boniface is 22. Osman is 24. Chukwesi is 24. Like, it's so, so promising for what they can be long term. And then you've got, you know, I mean, Ndidi's only 26 in midfield. Same with Onyeka. Rebo's 27. Onyedika's 22. They're all good players. Calvin Bassi is a linchpin in defense. Needs to improve, but he's, he's definitely talented. I, I just, well, you know, it'd be an opportunity for you to do a little bit of traveling as well. A little trip to, to Ghent. To, to maybe interview Gift Urban, maybe a little trip to Leverkusen, have a little look at Boniface, a little bit of a chat with Jabby Alonso, ask him when he's coming to Liverpool. Um, you know, things like that. I'm just, I'm just thinking of you, because uh, I know you like to get your travel in with your work as well, so you can claim there's not a holiday, even though... You're you very know, kind. You're very kind. I'll, I'll, make, I'll make sure to put your request through to my bosses. Do, do. do, do make, now, frame it as your own request, <laughs> for the love of God. Um... And, and tell them, you know, a little less travel for Delaney, maybe. A little less travel for Delaney. We don't need, we don't need global Delaney. Um, <laughs> right. We will leave it there. And we will be back next week. We will have multiple pods next week because we've got multiple games next week. We will be doing Europa League previews because, unfortunately, we are being forced to do Europa League post-match roll. It's Downey's fault. I'm blaming him entirely. He's agreed to it, so the rest of us have to go with it. Uh, that was that was meant to be a Guy Drinkle production as far as I was concerned, but we, we'll make do and we'll move forward. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.